0: slide up when you're able to, please, Paul. We can do that now. Thank you. If you want to turn to Romans chapter 6. So here we are, part 14 of our Romans series. We called it the King's Revolution. Quick reminder, is because... Um, The the weekend when Jesus died and rose again, from that moment the revolution that had been promised had arrived and the revolution had begun and 2,000 years later we are part of that ongoing revolution of humanity finally being brought into full life, unhindered by sin before God, to be his family, to be his adopted children and so on and so forth. We're part of a revolution on this planet that so many people are yet to see, comprehend and hopefully buy into as well. But that's who we are. We're part of a revolution. That's what's happening amongst humanity when you talk about Christianity. That's what Jesus did for us. And last week, Bob, there's so many nuggets of truth in his sermon last week. But I think one of the biggest, largest gospel take-homes from when Bob spoke last week was that, yes, it is perhaps unfair that we've inherited Adam's sin. We can discuss that at length another time. While that may well be unfair, what's even more unfair is that we have received Jesus' mercy and grace and forgiveness and cleansing that we do not, do not deserve. He gives it to us. What a take home. What something to treasure, and something to live in the light of. But therefore, if none of our, is a question that Paul will start answering in this passage, if none of our good deeds make a whiff of difference to our salvation, then why bother at all? It's a question that may occur to many of us in the room or certainly has occurred to many people in the, in the past and certainly has occurred to many people in Rome and why Paul's pointing this question out to them. Why don't we just do what we want, when we want, how we want? If we're going to get to heaven anyway, where Jesus is now, let's make merry and enjoy heaven when we get there. Well, as much as we can see on paper, that makes sense an obvious question, is actually a very naive, immature grasp of what the gospel really means. The good news of Jesus is a releasing and freeing truth and not a binding one. It is. However, it does involve a cost. We don't like the word cost, particularly today in our modern western world. We like ease, we like comfort, we don't like cost. But cost can be a good thing. There is such a thing as a good cost. As Individuals, we value our freedom, don't we? And actually, half the time we forget that we have far more freedom than many other people on this planet, even right now. There's more slaves on this planet now than there ever were in the, p- in the history of official slave trade. It's horrendous. That's just one example of lack of freedom. There's many others as well. Abuse in the home and so on. But we value freedom, don't we? We like to be flexible regarding our time, we don't like constraints by employers or other people, we like to be free to do what we want when we want, we like that freedom of time, to be freer to do things, we look forward to retirement when we're freer to do more, although people argue they end up doing a lot more. <laughs> but we like the idea of being free, don't we? We like the idea of, of um, having our own living space, it's my living space, I'm free to have it as tidy as I like or as messy as I like. We like having our own stuff. We like the freedom, this is mine, it's not yours, it's mine. And I like it this way and I like it looking like that and I like it over there. We like freedom to turn our music up as loud as we like or we like the freedom to sit in silence, depending on who you are. We like this kind of freedom, don't we? However, no young couple who are in love goes into marriage thinking about all the things they're giving up for it. They're giving up less time for others in lieu of spending time with your spouse. They're giving, up, uh, having they're giving up the fact that they now have to consider another person in major decision making rather than just doing what they want when they want. They have to consider uh, sharing bathrooms and bedroom floors, etc. There's, there's, there's something you've given up. That wasn't a dig, my darling. Just an example. <laughs> just a general example. No, they're not, they're not counting that as a cost. While well, some might think so. They're going, no. Because what I get out of this is intimacy and adventure and togetherness and and exclusive enjoyment, the two of us, that no one else will ever experience on this planet. What we have together is unique. There is a cost. You do lose more time with your friends. You do lose this and that. But there's something greater in return. It's a good cost, isn't it? It's a good cost. And Christianity, in the same way. The caricature of Christianity these days is about what you don't get to do anymore. That's not Christianity. It's less about what you don't get to do. It's far more about what you do get to do. You do get to live life to the fullest in a way you never could outside of this remarkable relationship with our maker. That's what Christianity is. No one else on this planet, unless they're saved, gets that. That's what we get in return. But the problem is, we Christians, we still don't find it very easy, do we? We still struggle. and We, still do, we do still count the cost And we still do wish we could do other things. And sometimes we do do other things. So Paul here is being very honest and he takes us into a long section. In chapter 6 and into chapter 7. Where he is talking about vanquishing sin in our lives. If Jesus has saved us, this remarkable act of grace, there is still a fight. We still have to fight the world, the flesh and the devil. There is still sin in our lives we have to fight. But how to do it is based on what Jesus has done. And he's going to take us through three pictures. We're going to look at the first one today about what it means to be dead, about death. So let's just, chapter 6 from verse 1 and we'll go up to uh, verse 14. Let's just read this together. What shall we say then? If Jesus has done this amazing thing, what shall we say then? He asks the question, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, he says. By no means. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we too might walk in newness of life for if we have been united with him in a death like his we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his there it is look what we do get for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. The basic thread of what Paul's saying there is that if we are united in Christ through his death and his resurrection, if you're one of his, then you are set free from sin's hold over us. It might not feel like it, but the fact remains. He's saying it's a fact. And therefore, we need to act differently, act according to the truth about us. And not according to old habits or tugging temptations or even the, having, having the easy life. Which is again is a temptation of itself. But yes, Paul does admit the struggle is, necess- is nevertheless ongoing and it is hard, isn't it? Or is it just me? Anyone else? Be honest. It's just me, isn't it? No, it's, it's more people. Okay. <laughs> Paul was just writing to me Praise the Lord he wasn't. He's writing to all of us. We all find it hard. The gospel is not about I must try harder because that's normally our first port of call. I'm not trying hard enough to resist sin. I'm not trying hard enough to be disciplined. I'm not trying hard enough to be accountable. I'm not trying hard X, Y, Z. That's not what the gospel is actually. The key is that the gospel has, Jesus has done it for you. Jesus has done it for you. Your ability to live a God-honoring and therefore flourishing life is not dependent on your inner strength there is a place for discipline and accountability but the answer is not there the answer is it's about being dependent on knowing who you belong to and finding your strength and your resolve there instead not I must try harder but I need to rely on his strength because he's freed me so Paul here is just going to go into three pictures if you like to help us Help the believers in Rome, help us today understand what it is to mean to walk a life free from sin. it will always be a battle, we're humans. But to find the key, to find the answer to increasingly walking in freedom, is using these three pictures here. He will use death, we've already read here, which I'm going to pick apart a moment, in just a moment. He will then, in a couple of weeks, in uh, July, John and David will be looking at the next picture on um, slavery. And there'll be another one about marriage as well, using them as different examples, different ways of looking, it keeps ramming it home from three different ways. Do you get this yet? Do you get this yet? Look what Jesus has done for you. This is the key. It's not trying harder, it's recognizing who you are. So let's just look at the first one today. What it means to be dead to sin. I just thought let's just keep it simple. Let's just break down three major words in that passage and let's just understand truly what they mean and see what Jesus says to us. So the first word sin. Let's just be sure we know what we're talking about here when we're talking about sin. Normally, when we first think of sin, we think of all the bad things we do. All the things we don't want people to know about. All the things we might do in private or in public, wherever they are, the, the, the naughty bits. That's what we tend to consider sin as. That's, sin is far more than that. Sin is far more than that. Søren Kierkegaard is a, or was a Christian philosopher from the 19th century and he helpfully puts it like this. I'm going to paraphrase him. But he's saying simply that sin is not just breaking God's moral standards. That's just the resultant acts above the surface. They're the signs and symptoms of the disease, if you like. And even Paul here in these passages now, whenever you read the word sin, it's actually really got a capital S. He's talking about the power of sin. He's talking what's at the root of all the things we do. So sin is not just breaking God's moral standards, they're just the acts. Sin, with a capital S, is, I'll put it up here, sin is building your self-worth and your happiness on anything other than God. That's sin. And when we live like that, we start doing things that break God's moral standards. It's rooted somewhere deeper, which is this. Building your self-worth and happiness on anything other than God. For example... If you're sleeping with someone who isn't your spouse or even fantasizing about, just dreaming about it, Jesus talks about it, even just thinking about it, it's just the same. Actually, what you're doing, you're building your self-worth and your happiness on something other than God. You're building your self-worth and happiness on sex and romance. I'll be happy, grass is greener, etc., etc. Or if you're hiding some of your income from the tax man, it goes deeper than just doing a naughty thing. It's about building your, your self-worth or your happiness on money or on material things. You see, it runs far deeper. There's something else. There's an idol at work underneath this. Does this make sense? There's another god you're worshipping that you may not even realise yourself. If you allow your career or creature comforts to dictate the big decisions in your life, then you're building your self-worth and your happiness on work or on comfort. There's two more gods you could be worshipping. There's something greater underneath the surface. If you enjoy, if if you don't realise at the time, you enjoy joining in on gossip, then you're building your self-worth and happiness on people's approval. There's another God. If if, if you're naturally lazy, then you're building your self-worth and happiness on the easy life. That's your God. Does this make sense? Is this? Yes. Building your self-worth and happiness on anything other than God. That's what sin is every time our heart's compass is drif- drifting away from God I want that now that's what will make me happy that's what will fulfill me that's where I'll be content that's sin all the stuff we do as a result of that are the sins plural that path just keeps leading to anxiety it leads to despair it leads to lack of fulfillment even though it lies to us and tells us it will fulfill us it leads to addiction candy. it leads to drivenness it leads to envy they are all fragile gods and they will always always let you down However, as Christians, they are things we're all in danger of. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we're still in danger of it, aren't we? We can all still resonate. We can all sense this. We know this in our own experiences. But the Bible explains that the only, it's only believers can find the answer to redirecting their worship in God's life-giving direction, not elsewhere. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So only, only believers on this planet, us in this room, will be able to find the true answer to freedom but even believers who have committed to him can still fail to embrace what it means to be dead to sin and therefore we just what we're doing, we're just losing precious time on this planet to live unhindered for him whenever we redirect our affections elsewhere when our compass starts drifting again so that's sin does that, I'm hoping that makes more sense so therefore, what does he mean by being dead to sin well Let's be sure what it, he what it doesn't mean by that. Paul is not saying, when he says you're dead to sin, he's not saying we don't want to sin. Because otherwise every one of us in this room would feel like a fake. Verse 12, what does he say? Verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. He wouldn't have to say that if it was, oh you're a Christian, you don't want to sin anymore. It's not true, of course we do. It's still tempting. But to be dead to sin... It doesn't mean act as if you're dead to sin either. This is a categorical statement. He's saying you are dead to sin. You exist in a separate realm now. You have been separated. Don't allow it any power. You can allow it power to whisper in your ear and you start listening to it again. But it only has as much power as you allow it. Actually, you have been separated from its influence. So why listen to its whispers? It's because it's teasing and it's nice, isn't it? But he's saying you are dead to sin. You have been separated. The answer is not in waiting until you feel like resisting temptation. When I'm holy enough, when I'm strong enough, when I'm mature enough. You never will be, really. It's about hearing what God tells you about you and acting on it. That's what belief is. Belief is hearing the truth that God says about you. You're dead to sin. You're mine now. And then acting on it. That's belief. If you want to know which bits of the Bible you believe in, look at the bits you do and the bits you don't. Just saying. I have to ask myself that question. Do I really believe about healing? Because I don't lay hands on many people. It's a good question to ask ourselves, isn't it? Belief is actually acting on the truth. And the truth here is you are dead to sin. Now it's time to act. Just to ram it home, verse 7. What does he say? For one who has died has been set free from sin. Categorical statement. And then verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law anymore you're under grace you're his now sin will have no dominion over you the Bible explains that the very moment we recognise Jesus as our great champion who entered our darkness who stood in our place who carried our dirt who received the judgement that we deserve the moment we give our lives over to him is the very moment our old self dies and our new self is born. That's what it means to be born again. That's what Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus. You need to be born of the Spirit. It's a new... It's, you're a new person. You're, it's not just a fresh start. He's not just wiping the slate clean. You are now someone else. Even if you're in the same lump of walking flesh that looks the same in the mirror, and in many ways you often feel the same, he's saying, actually, you now have a new divine DNA. You are someone else. You're a new creation. But there is, of course, this conflict that will remain in this life. These echoes of our previous life, if you like. They continue to bounce around in our heads and hearts. This will make you happy. Go and do that. That's fun. No one will know. There's just these little echoes around our heads. The fact remains, you are someone else and you belong to someone else now. Just an example, let me tell you a story from World War II. A group of people and there was a tussle of powers over who they belonged to. I don't know if anyone here has heard of Nekdet Kent, funny name, Nekdet Kent. He was a Turkish diplomat in the 40s and he was, uh, he was posted to Marseille in occupied France in 1941. And he, he, did, he did lots, he was signing many people over there to Turkish citizenship to to help free them from occupied France and things like that, but one particular incident is absolutely remarkable. In 1943, he'd been a diplomat in Marseille for a couple of years. He heard about 80 Turkish Jews. They had been herded onto a train that was heading to concentration camps in Germany, therefore likely almost certain death. So what did he do? He marched down to the station. And he remembers this one of the things when he, he reads his biography. He, he remembers a sign. They were herded, 80 Jews were herded onto a cattle car. It was just a cattle car. Some of them had to be piled on top of each other to make them fit. And he saw, it makes me cry, he saw the sign that said, This wagon may be loaded with 20 heads of cattle and 500 kilos of grass. That's how they were treated, just like cattle. So he approached the Gestapo commander on the platform and demanded their release. He was arguing their Turkish citizenship, which was neutral in World War II. He said, they're Turkish, they should not be on that train. He was refused on the grounds of their Jewish lineage. The Gestapo were like, don't care if they're Turkish, they're Jews, they're ours. We do what we want with them. It's like, no, they're Turkish, they don't belong to you. This tussle started happening. He was refused. So what did he do next? He got on the train, he climbed on board with them. He said to him, he had his colleague with him, he said come on, we're both going. Climbed on the train with them. The train started to move and the train pulled out of the station. The train headed, headed up the railway line and he winningly stood in their darkness with them. The next station, the train stopped and officers boarded it and they apologised for letting the train leave with him on board. He replied, the mistake was not in letting the train leave with him on board. The mistake was letting the train leave with those 80 Jews on board. He said, they do not belong under your power. They are no longer yours. They belong to someone else. Ultimately, at that station, the Gestapo backed down. Praise God. Powerless they were, and they released a the lot of them. Praise God. Neck debt, he saved them on grounds of who actually had power over them. As Jews, they were headed to death. But as Turks, their champions, stepped into their darkness. He shouted down the enemy on the grounds of who they actually belonged to. Sound familiar? It's exactly what Jesus has done for us. He stepped into our train, if you like, that has a deadly destination. But accepting his lordship, recognizing you belong to someone else now, means you don't belong to sin anymore who is quite happily loves driving our train in a doomed direction that's, that's where this broken world is headed but accepting Jesus' power to shout down the Gestapo of sin and the devil means we are not as doomed as we feel when we're caught up in old habits or addictions or wherever going to old places, familiar places they only have as much power as we allow them we don't belong to them anymore if we embrace the fact that I belong to Jesus now, then their power is a damp squib compared to his mighty roar. That's the difference. And his power to be free from those cycles is constantly available. It's just time and time again we can just, two hours repent and receive. We can just repent and say, I want to come back to your ownership and care. I know once saved, always saved, that is true. We can talk about that another time. But if you're his, his. if you're genuinely his, you're his. No matter how many times you trip up. But is there nothing better than living life free, unhindered for him rather than going back to the old places again? And every time we go back to the old place, we're forgetting who we belong to. Let's return repeatedly to his ownership and to his care and receive more of his mercy and kindness there's astonishingly sweet life life to the full, life with a capital L. And that's what Paul's saying when we come to the third word, consider. It says verse eleven. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourselves. There's a response, there's an action that we need to do is saying reckon yourself dead to sin and treat yourself accordingly it's simply saying acknowledge this truth and live in it you don't have to muster anything up just recognize the truth and act on it not act as if you're dead act because you are dead to sin you belong to someone else now now any one of those jews could have stayed on that train I'm enjoying the view I'm in the middle of a card game I've just got comfortable do I have to get up again or this person wants me to stay and I'm quite, quite enjoying their company and to say any of that in the context of what they're in that would be foolish wouldn't it it's completely stupid but we too can choose to stay on the train sometimes even as believers even as Christians or we can jump on and off it can't we sometimes Because of the temporary thrill of whatever it is that's tempting us at the time. There'll always be cheap thrills. And there'll always be empty promises. But we can step off that train in confidence of who we are. Those Jews stepped off that train in full confidence of who they belong to. And it meant true freedom for them. And so the same for us too. Paul says, consider yourself. You are dead. Act upon it. So come verse 13. So do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So it's less about not doing the naughty things it's more about being released to live outrageously for God. Who wants more of that in their lives? know well, I do. There's Although well, it's just brilliant what Holy Spirit inspired Jenny to bring earlier, that picture of that slave. They're there with the chain, staked in the ground, but one of those links is broken. All they have to do, they belong to someone else now. For what, to all intents and purposes, they look the same. All they have to do is believe the truth that you're free now. Get up. Walk away. You're not tethered to this anymore. You're dead to it. You're someone else now. You are free the slavery picture will actually come up again in a couple of weeks' time, but I thought that was just so helpful. And the Holy Spirit is available to help us. We're going to pray in a moment, but Holy Spirit is available to help each one of us to live more freely for Him. Whatever that might look like for you, that looked different for every single one of us. You know what I'm talking about, and you know what God's talking to you about. I've just got a couple of things just to say to different people in the room. If you're... If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, I was talking earlier about those things you, you live for. You know, we can live for career, we can live for comfort, we can live for ease, can live for people's approval and so on. There's a really helpful quote from C.S. Lewis that talks about a deeper desire underneath that that we as humans need to learn to respond to in the first place. He says here, this is from his Mere Christianity but. It says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, and women, well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. If you're recognizing that whatever you do in this life never fully satisfies you, there's always something missing, then maybe that's telling you something greater about his truth, his reality, his existence, his availability. But nothing you can do can fix your problem, you can't rescue yourself, you need help, and that's who Jesus is, Saturday before last, Jenny and oh no, I got locked in our bedroom, <laughs> we did, the handle wasn't working, we had dressing gowns on, if you need to picture us, we had dressing gowns on, it's okay, Hope that helps, the handle wasn't working, the, the, the bolt latch, the spring had gone in, inside the, the tubular bolt, and, whatever you did with the handle, nothing was happening. So I was calling Amy and was trying to use the credit card trick like they always do in the movies, <laughs> didn't work. Nearly ruined my iTunes voucher card. So I passed it to Amy through the slot, she's trying, it's not, it's not working daddy, it's not working daddy. We needed a rescuer with the right means to let us out. So we phoned Jenny's dad. And Ray came rushing round with his screwdrivers. So I, 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 even, I, I didn't have any screwdrivers in the bedroom, as you do. So I couldn't do that, so otherwise I'd have tried to do it myself. I didn't have the means, I, was even, I ruined some plectrums trying to trying to undo the s- screws. So we phoned Ray, he comes around with his screwdriver, unscrews the handle on the other side, gets to the latch, bop, out we, done, out we go, and I popped to B&Q and get a replacement bit, easy, easy as anything. But we needed a rescuer, we could not get ourselves out of that problem. It's the same as humans, we cannot fix it ourselves. We need a rescuer to come and get us. The Jews were stuck on that train. They needed Necdet Kent to come and free them from that doom. As human beings, we are stuck in brokenness and nothing we do will fulfill us. Nothing we do will fix the problem. We just keep spiraling. That's humanity's story. But Jesus has stepped in to free us and all he says is just take my hand. That song about proffered hand. My hand is out. Take it. I'll pull you up that's what it means to be a Christian Jesus you've done it for me you've made a way if you're not a believer but that resonates with you I want to pray for you in a moment but just one more if you are a believer just remember that Jesus he hasn't just rescued us he continues to give us the ability to act as who we are now so let's just continue to worship him and not some fragile standings of approval sex, whatever it might be. Let's live for him. Let's live for him. Just close your eyes. I'm not going to get people to stand actually. I think just sit, sit where you are. But let's just close our eyes, just quietly, carefully and honestly. Let's just reflect on what Holy Spirit might be prompting for each one of us. Paul continues in the... Just keep your eyes shut, but Paul continues in the... Book of Colossians, chapter 3, it says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. There's still a need. There's, There's unconditional love, but there's a condition on the back of it that we need to respond as a result, isn't there? So, Holy Spirit, we just want to welcome you right now and just say that will you speak to us? Will you, will you show us what we need to be honest about? Whatever it is we live for sometimes that isn't you. We are sorry. Help us to not do that again. And While we're humans and maybe we will trip up again. It's probably quite likely. You know that as well as I do and you're kind and you're smiling at us. You want the best for us. Will you help us? Will you help us to resist temptation? Your word promises you'll you'll never allow us to bear more temptation than we can bear. You are kind, so help us, we pray. Holy Spirit, will you just give us the ability to keep remembering to ask, where's my compass pointing? Am I blessing my Father or am I running after something else? Speak to us, we pray. And if you're not a believer and I just, even right now, recognizing for who he is, this mighty eternal God who never began, stepped into a suit of flesh to live the perfect life that we can't live on our behalf, to die the death that we deserve on our behalf, to rise again to life that we might live, he did that on our behalf, That resurrection power is available for you right now. It's the most fulfilled you'll ever be on this planet and it's only available through Jesus. Come to him now. Don't resist. You don't need to have all the boxes ticked. You don't need to have all your questions answered. In fact, most of us still haven't got all our questions answered and we're unlikely to. That's okay. That's faith. It's about trusting someone who knows better, isn't it? Speak to him. Be honest about who you are. Acknowledge who he is and run to him. I'd love to pray with you afterwards if you want to come and find me. Let this be the day of your new life when you're born again into his resurrection power. Father, we thank you. You're a good, good father who only wants the best for us. We thank you so much. Help us by your Holy Spirit to live more unhindered, as the days and weeks and months and years go by in the future, that we can live for you, freer and freer, being transformed from one degree of glory to another, to bring glory to you, to bring blessing to you, to point the way to you with everything we do. Help us to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.